Welcome everyone to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast. I'm your host, the boy wonder himself, Owen Anderson. Welcome back everyone. I'm so excited to have you all back here on the show. Uh, but before we get into everything and what we're going to talk about today, I got to bring in the other host, the host with the most, David T. Anderson, a.k.a. my dad. Dad, what's going on, man? How are you? Living the dream. Just living, living the dream, huh? Living the dream. All right. Well, uh, before we get into today's topic and what we're going to do, uh, I want to remind everyone, please follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at PW Retrospect Pod. Make sure to follow my dad, David C. Anderson, at David C. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. Make sure to follow me at give me underscore MTN do and make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Give us a five star and also make sure to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and anchor.fm or where fine podcasts are consumed. All right. And before we get to this week's retrospective review of WWE WrestleMania 22, let's now head on back to the collector's corner with our good buddy, Kyle Peterson. All right, and it's time this week for our newest, and I guess really our only recurring segment of the week. We are here once again with another edition of the Collector's Corner with our very dear, close, personal, longtime friend, Kyle Peterson. Kyle, what's happening? How is it going? What's new? Oh, man. Another week on the hunt. Every week's on the hunt, though. We never stops. Just when you think you're done, it fires right back up, basically. The uh, hunt never stops. <laughs> yeah, this week uh, I had to do a little traveling for work, so made some pit stops along the way and on the way home, but went up to Decorah, Iowa, up in far northeast corner of Iowa. Uh, so about a three-and-a-half-hour drive and hit all the Walmarts and Targets along the way. So, you know, like I do. So you spent a lot of time behind a windshield this week, traveling the highways and byways of the Midwest in your travels this week that took you all over this great land of ours. What's in stores right now? Well, not, well, I shouldn't say not a whole lot, a whole lot, just not a lot I needed. Uh, It's kind of like the lull. We talked a little bit last week, a little bit of a lull right now. I did come across for the first time in stores as basic 110 from Mattel. Uh, be wrestling figures, of course, and I did pick up the Liv Morgan, so I needed that one. I don't buy all the basics, but I did pick up that one just uh, to have, I guess. Um, so there was that, and then it's crazy what a difference a couple of weeks make. You know, it was He-Man anxiety, Masters of the Universe anxiety at Walmart. None of them had it. Empty shelves everywhere, and boy, has the tide turned. Uh, you know, I saw Masters of the Universe everywhere uh, on this trip. They were fully stocked at many of stores so those uh if people are out there hunting those i think check your walmarts because they're starting to really fill up and i think there's an opportunity for a lot of people to pick those up uh, right now um also saw some crazy things of the new wrestling uh the new legend series at target uh saw greg valentine two greg valentines chilling at cedar falls target one of the chase ones and one of the regular ones i mean to see one greg valentine is pretty rare but to see the chase and then the other one at the same time Thought that was a little crazy of a sighting, but uh, one sighting that was uh, really wild 
and there's something about the Midwest, I guess, but uh, the eight states I travel, there's about one place in every state, and I found one here, and it was Cedar Falls Target, and they had Steve Regal, uh, Lord Steven Regal, WCW Mattel Elite figure, still on the pegs, and I don't even remember what set that was. I mean, how far back? I don't, I don't know if we either of us know off the top of our head, but, I mean, we're talking three years at least. I don't know. Oh, what would you say? Yeah, easily. I, I'm going to venture a guess here. Let me see if I can stall. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lord Steven Regal. I was absolutely shocked to see it. I mean, I see that in Tugboat. Uh, there's a, a store up in Minnesota that has them as well, um, or had. I don't know. I've been there a while, but I was pretty shocked to see that at the Cedar Falls Target. Lord Steven Regal, WWE Elite Series 45. Wow, so we got about 33 sets uh, past that now. So that's so, that's been hanging tight for a long time. Yeah, this has to be at least 2015. Wow, wow, five years on the shelves, a, a good five years. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Because it, it's interesting how all of the different stores, and not even just between the different chains, whether it's Walmart, Target, yeah. whatever, but some stores are quick to clearance things out yeah I mean, even, even stuff that hasn't even necessarily hit the the new aisle yet sometimes can go straight to clearance depending on when a store gets it and then you've got a situation like this where you've got his lordship just warming the pegs for five years well perfect example that exact target network spotlights which are fairly new uh the wendy richter set i guess uh 13.99 30 off on clearance so why is that set that came out you know three months ago on clearance, but something that's been there for five years is not, I don't know, but you know, it's fun to see stuff like that. It's exciting. <laughs> I guess to see old stuff like that. Uh, well, it, it, it was exciting because it was very exciting for me because you <laughs> sent me a text with a picture of this and you know, can you believe that this figure is still sitting here five years later? And I said, I absolutely can because I need it. So <laughs> fear not. There is no more uh, Lord Stephen Regal warming the pegs at the Cedar Falls Target because he is now in your possession and at some point in the very near future will then be in my possession. Exactly. You know, I was a little worried. It was funny. I was almost to the registers leaving. And I thought you were kind of kidding, but no, you needed it. So I turned turned around, got it. Wouldn't it have been funny if somebody would have bought it just in that like two minutes? <laughs> that would have been something. But I was really worried that it might not ring up. Because sometimes you have that happen. Uh, you know, there's uh, you search YouTube videos. Uh, the new craze in figure hunting is checking underneath the shelves at Target. There's a lot of videos of that. And people finding figures from, you know, five, six years ago. And uh, that people hid away and that were there and never found. And then they don't ring up at the register and they won't even sell them. So that happens quite often, it sounds like, at least in these videos. I haven't been that lucky to find anything like that. But always interesting out there. Let's take a little detour. So we talk about things... You know, maybe hiding on the shelves and and not ringing up because it's just been so long and maybe the the skew's been cleared out. But I came across something. I don't know if it was on YouTube or somewhere in the last week where there's I, I guess you could call it a scam. I I don't know where it was specific to Walmart where people had figures that were about this old or even older, five, six, seven years old that third-party sellers were selling on Walmart's site and went to the brick-and-mortar store to try and return 
a figure and ended up getting an astronomical amount of a refund because according to the Walmart website, that's what it's selling for, even though it's not even being sold by Walmart, it's being sold by a third party. But what, what do you know about this? Boy, that's news to me. I had not heard that or seen that, but I could kind of see that as goofy, you know, Walmart, a major company, obviously one of the biggest in the United States. I could see something like that happening. Like it's, you know, that Steve Regal, all of a sudden it's, you know, $57 from a third party and it goes down that way. Huh, that's weird. Yeah, I had not heard that. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can go back and find the video. I'll send it to you. It was, it was crazy. It was one of those, I don't know, 2010 to, well, I guess that was when Mattel. So it's probably like 2011. There were a couple basics that, you know, those, those early series of, of even the basics, you know, go for a pretty decent amount on the secondary market. And somebody tried to return a couple of these old figures and got, I mean, it was just an insane amount of, I don't remember if they took store credit or took the cash. I don't, I don't remember. Hmm, That's interesting. But speaking of other things that are interesting, um, (laughs) I had someone actually reach out to me after your debut on the show last week and, and ask the question, Hey, why, why did you refer to this guy as the pizza King? I mean, his segment is the collector's corner with Kyle. Where, where does this pizza King pet name come from so let's <laughs> let's smarten everyone up and and give some backstory on on why i refer to you as the pizza king there you go well i guess i'm just i'm just a renaissance man what can i say but no i don't know how long it's been maybe two years three years something like that um i've always enjoyed pizza as probably most people in the world do i love pizza have always loved pizza uh and then uh, one day at work one of my co-workers said you eat pizza so much you have to start reviewing them and and, you know, I said, well, I should. It wouldn't be that hard. You know, a quick little review, a picture, and uh, post it away. So I did start the Facebook page, the IA Pizza King, the Iowa Pizza Gang. Uh, and I started that Facebook page uh, two and a half, three years ago, whatever it was. And I eat a ton of pizza. So every time I eat a pizza, I take a picture. I rate it uh, one to ten. If it's a restaurant pizza, if it's frozen pizza, it's a one to five scale. And, you know, I talk about it, give my opinion, and away we go. And it kind of caught fire uh, a while back. You know, I've been on a couple of radio uh, interviews. I've been on the local news talking pizza before. So uh, just something fun to to do at the time, especially in my travels for work. You know, I'd go every night, I'd go figure hunting and grab a pizza and say, you know, what is the uh, famous pizza of this area? And I'd go check it out myself. So lifelong pizza-aholic and uh, reviewer, I guess now for pizza. (laughs) And all that notoriety has brought you here to the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast. And we're certainly glad to give you a forum with the Collector's Corner and, and of course, the uh, the Pizza King. So as we wrap up the segment here, make sure you let everyone know how they can find and follow your exploits on social media. Yep. You can uh, check me out at uh, Twitter at SirPaul64, Instagram at the underscore Kyle underscore Peterson. Uh, and then I guess if you want to check out my pizza reviews, uh, search uh, the Iowa Pizza King on uh, Facebook. You'll find it in there. And then, of course, uh, the YouTube channel where I'm unboxing and reviewing figures and figure hunts. You name it. It's all there. And uh, just search Kyle Peterson on YouTube and you'll find it. Excellent. And uh, as always, Kyle, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for stopping by again. And uh, what do you say we do it again next week? Hey, that sounds like a plan. 
Another great edition of the Collector's Corner this week with our friend Kyle Peterson. Again, make sure you are following him on social media at all of his different ats. He is putting out a lot of content for all of us, and we should definitely do everything that we can to support him. He's the hardest working man that I know, and so a simple follow, a like, a retweet, a share from his YouTube channel definitely goes a long way. So now that we've had our conversation with Kyle, I believe that we are fully prepared to discuss this week's main event. Again, Owen and I will be going back and providing a retrospective review of the event that was WrestleMania 22. Owen, I know that this is one of your favorite WrestleManias. You're giving an air fist pump over there as I set you up for this. Uh, before we get into the actual long-form review, can you just very quickly give everyone some insight, some backstory into why this is one of your favorite WrestleMania events. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. It's, I, you know, it's funny. Like I remember probably being four, maybe five. I don't, I can't really recall a time when I've actually sat down and like watched a show at a younger age. Um, Cause obviously I've seen John Cena and Triple H, the main event, which we will be talking about later on in the show. I've seen that match like thousands of times. It's just a great match. Um, I don't know. For me, it's, it's very nostalgic because, you know, in 2006, I would have been not quite two years. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, two years old. I can't do math, kids. Uh, I was about two years old, so I have no memory of this actually, like, going on live because I know my dad ordered the pay-per-view uh, at that time uh, from what I've been told. But like I said, I, I couldn't tell you like anything that happened. Like, uh, like, oh, do you remember watching it? Like, no, like as an older, like at an older age and stuff. But I don't know. I, I just, I think the, the card was really good. The storylines were really good. And, you know, for me, this is a time when WWE, it's, I won't say it's like at their, like the, the best they've ever been, but I, I would say it's at a point where, they're still very good and that the, the, the content and the quality of the like Raws and SmackDowns and the pay-per-views are still worth watching. Uh, and, I, and I won't get into like current and all that, but it, it, for me, it was still a, it was a good time to be watching. And, you know, they still had a lot of good talent. You know, you had Cena, you still had Triple H full time, you still had Undertaker full time. So there were guys that were still really good and that they were still working full time because, you know, Undertaker and Triple H, they don't wrestle. John Cena doesn't wrestle. I know Edge just came back, but what, he had one match, two matches, at the, I think, so, like, like if, if you guys know what I mean, like, and those are just kind of the people that I like, and that I, and I, I just think it was a great time to be watching, so it's one of my favorite WrestleManias, and I hope after listening to this, you go back and watch it, it's certainly, probably, I would say it's my favorite WrestleMania, I'll, I'll say it right here, and like, it's, I would say it's my favorite, I'm kind of a psychopath about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to dispute that. If, if WrestleMania 22 is your favorite WrestleMania, you're definitely a psychopath. All right, let's get into it. So here we go. WrestleMania 22. This event took place on Sunday, April 2nd, 2006, from the Allstate Arena in suburban Rosemont, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. They drew 17,155 fans for a sellout. Uh, this was the last non-stadium WrestleMania. So if you keep in mind, if you go back and look at the WrestleManias, starting with about WrestleMania 17, they started to get back into the process of running huge domes for WrestleMania. They did it for 17, 18, 19, 
took a break for 20 and 21, 22. And this would be the last non-Dome WrestleMania since then. Uh, the arena has banners of every WWE superstar hanging from the ceiling going all the way around the arena. The title track, or the main song featured uh, here, is Peter Gabriel's Big Time, which originally debuted in 1986. Not sure why WWE chose a 20-year-old song to be the main thing for WrestleMania, but here we are. So the show opens with a video package highlighting the top matches. Undertaker versus Mark Henry in the casket match. Shawn Michaels against Mr. McMahon. Triple threat match for the World Heavyweight Championship. And, of course, the main event of John Cena versus Triple H for the WWE Championship. We've got the huge pyro explosions abound as Jim Ross welcomes us to WrestleMania in our opening contest. It's for the World Tag Team Championship. We have the challengers, the team of Carlito and Chris Masters, taking on the team, the champions, comprised of Kane and The Big Show. Owen? I have zero recollection of these men being a team, let alone being the tag team champions. I'll be honest, uh, the first time I actually sat down and watched the show from start to finish, I had no clue that Kane and Big Show were even a tag team. I don't even remember Chris Masters and Carlito being a tag team. You know, I, I kind of remember them from a younger age. But yeah, like to, to answer, yes, I have like no memory of them being a tag team whatsoever. Yeah, this was a pretty quick match by WrestleMania standards uh, for opening matches. The champions did retain the tag titles in 6 minutes and 42 seconds when Kane hit Carlito with the choke slam from hell. After the match, uh, Masters and Carlito did tease that maybe they'd be breaking up after the match. They didn't do it here at WrestleMania, uh, coming up on the losing end. Backstage, we have the coach, who's standing by with heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels. Sean says, tonight, it's not going to be a five-star match. It's going to be a fight, and it's going to be ugly. He says that Vince will endure his own personal hell. Next, we have the interpromotional Money in the Bank ladder match. So our participants are Matt Hardy, the Intercontinental Champion Shelton Benjamin, Finley, Rob Van Dam, Bobby Lashley, and Ric Flair. And Owen, anytime that Shelton Benjamin is in a ladder match, you can bet something cool is probably going to happen. Absolutely. And I have to ask you, uh, because I, you know, I was two at this time. I don't really recall like, like how long was he intercontinental champion? Cause like for me, like every time I've watched like a WrestleMania where he's in it, like of a ladder match, he's the intercontinental champion. Yeah. He had a couple different runs with the belt. I'm pretty sure he won the intercontinental title the first time at taboo Tuesday, 2004. I think he beat Chris Jericho. He had a couple of different reigns with the title. Obviously, he was the champion here in 2006, but I'm fairly confident in saying the first time he won the Intercontinental title was at Taboo Tuesday 2004. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I just had noticed it was like WrestleMania 21, he was the Intercontinental champion. WrestleMania 22, he's Intercontinental champion. WrestleMania 23, I was like, whoa, is this dude like going on a three-year streak of like holding the belt? But I wasn't quite sure on that. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of Shelton, early in the match, he set a ladder up against the ropes ran across the ring, ran up the ladder, and did a springboard dive onto the participants on the outside. We then see 57-year-old Ric Flair take a superplex from Matt Hardy off the top of a ladder, which sent the Nature Boy crashing to the ground, which then ended up having him leave the match and go back to the locker room. But after a few minutes, Flair does make his way back to the ring to rejoin the match. At one point, Van Dam hits a Van Daminator to the back of Bobby Lashley, who was standing on a ladder. Uh, Van Dam then hits a splash from the top of a ladder onto Finley. 
The finish of this crazy match saw Hardy and Benjamin crash and burn to the outside, which allowed Rob Van Dam to grab the briefcase for the win in 12 minutes and 14 seconds, and the crowd popped huge for RVD grabbing the briefcase. Yeah, I thought it was a uh, cool win because you know RVD, you know obviously in ECW and then in the very you know very late part of the WWF Attitude Era, he was you know a, a big star. Uh, so it was a cool win. But I have to ask you, so if you if you can't remember, it's it's totally fine. But if you can remember back to this show in 2006, did you think RVD was gonna win? Yes. You did? Okay, because I, I wasn't sure, like, if you thought, oh, maybe Matt Hardy will get a shot or, you know, wasn't sure. So, yeah, you were, like, RVD's winning. Yeah, Matt Hardy had been fired the summer before and then came back into the storyline with Edge and got buried. And since then, it, there was no chance. I I remember thinking maybe Shelton Benjamin, just, again, like you mentioned, all of his reigns with the Intercontinental title and his ability to showcase his talents during these types of ladder matches and things like that. I thought maybe Shelton. I didn't really see Ric Flair um, just because, you know, at that point, uh, the last time that he'd had a title match was three years prior on Raw against Triple H. Uh, you never say never, but I figured probably it was either Rob Van Dam or Shelton Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this was actually, you know, obviously – if you're like you've been watching wrestling probably the last few years, you know there's a there's a separate Money in the Bank pay per view, but obviously this was like was this I think no no I think twenty one was the first was twenty one yeah twenty one was the first Money in the Bank ladder match they did at WrestleMania, and then I do you know what year they started doing it like as a separate pay per view? I think two thousand ten yeah two thousand ten mm. don't quote me on I'm don't quote okay yeah I'm I'm. Fairly confident it's 2010. Okay, yeah. I wanted to mention because, like, I didn't know if anyone really, like, noticed, like, oh, wow, I didn't I didn't know that. So, because there wasn't a separate Money in the Bank pay-per-view in the early 2000s. Correct. Yep. So, backstage, uh, Josh Matthews is with Mean Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene talks about his astronomical bar tab from last night after being inducted to the Hall of Fame when he's interrupted by the legend killer Randy Orton. Orton cuts a promo on his two opponents when he is interrupted by Batista. Big Dave isn't on the card here as he's currently injured. Batista says it doesn't matter who wins the triple threat match for the world title because they're just holding the title until he gets back. We then go to our 2006 WWE Hall of Fame inductee segment. Howard Finkel announces that Brett Hitman Hart was uncomfortable participating in the event. Let me give a little backstory here. So Brett was agreeable to go into the Hall of Fame because there is no bigger mark for Bret Hart being in the Hall of Fame than Bret the Hitman Hart. The previous year in 2005, WWE was planning on doing a self-destruction of Ultimate Warrior style DVD on Bret, as back then the WWE and Bret were not on good terms whatsoever. Once Bret got word of it, he reached out to Vince and asked about being a part of the project, which immediately changed the dynamic from a hit piece to a praise piece. Brett negotiated the deal of the DVD and the Hall of Fame, but only under the condition that Shawn Michaels would not be at the Hall of Fame and not be anywhere near him. Remember, this is 2006 before Brett and Shawn had made peace. Brett publicly stated that he didn't want Vince profiting from Brett's return, and that's why he wouldn't appear at WrestleMania. Hmm, well, I'm pretty sure that the people at the Hall of Fame cer ceremony the night before paid for tickets to attend. Anyway, Brett wasn't comfortable appearing at Mania, so that's that. We have the other inductees. We've got Mean Gene Okerlund, 
Sensational Sherry, Tony Atlas, Vern Gagne, William the Refrigerator Perry for the Celebrity Wing and uh, the Blackjacks, and then finally Vicky Guerrero accepting for her late husband, Eddie Guerrero. Our next match is for the United States Championship. We have the challenger, JBL, who's accompanied by Jillian Hall, taking on the United States Champion, Chris Benoit. The entrance ramp raises up, kind of like a castle drawbridge, to allow JBL's limo to drive into the ring. JBL defeats Benoit in 9 minutes and 48 seconds by reversing Benoit's crippler crossface into a pinfall, and JBL grabs the rope for leverage behind the back of referee Nick Patrick to win the United States Championship. I'll be honest. I, I'm not a fan of Benoit, and I'm not really a fan of uh, JBL. So I'll say that, but I will say this. Uh, I think it was a really good technical match from a technical perspective. You know, because if you look at Chris Benoit, he's one of the greatest technical wrestlers in the business and just in pro wrestling in general. He just was a great technical wrestler. And, you know, and and JBL wasn't like this great technical wrestler, but I'll I'll give it to him. He was a great heel. And I think it was a great way to like have him cheat to win the belt. Because, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you guys know JBL, he's a cheater. Like that's, you know, and, and that's a heel's job. A heel's job, they will win the title no matter what, like whatever it takes, they will win the belt. So I think it was a smart way to have him win the belt from Benoit. And I mean, and they were, they were having him feud. I I believe it would have been raw, right? Yeah. Raw. Sorry. I don't, I don't know the, what, who's on what yet. So, uh, but yeah, like it, I think it was a a technical good match. And I think the buildup for it was great. And the finish was great. Uh, side question for you. Did you know that JBL was in the accolades? I will quit right now. Don't no. You and Kyle just like to troll me. And and no, and the worst thing is it's in person. It's not like cause trolls are usually on Twitter. You're in person, you jerk. Next up we have a hardcore match. Uh, Edge with Lita taking on Mick Foley. Joey Styles is here on commentary with Jerry Lawler for this hardcore match. So again, a little bit of the backstory. Jim Ross had a major health scare the previous fall. He ended up having to have uh, colon surgery. He had to have parts of his, I think it was a sm- large intestine or smaller intestine, part of his colon removed. Uh, it was a very serious situation. WWE brought Joey Styles in to take over on Raw. You know, ultimately, Vince had wanted to move on from JR. Um, this was not the first time that Vince had tried to make the move to get JR out of the lead commentary seat. They bring Joey Styles in. He just wasn't living up to the expectations that McMahon had set. Ultimately, Vince had to go back to Ross when JR was ready to return. This time frame is actually kind of a unique time frame in Edge's career. So the year before, at WrestleMania 21, Edge wins the inaugural Money in the Bank ladder match and waited until January of 2006 to cash in on John Cena at the end of New Year's Revolution to win his first WWE Championship. He held the title for three weeks. He lost it back to John Cena at the Royal Rumble and then goes into this feud with Mick Foley. So it was very interesting. Edge was one of the guys that that was being positioned as one of the the next top stars. They finally pull the trigger and they have Edge cash in the money in the bank on Cena at the end of the pay-per-view as a heel, wins the title, and then three weeks later loses it at the Royal Rumble and then kind of falls back down the card to a uh, no-holds-barred match with McFoley at WrestleMania. Hardcore match. 
same thing. Yeah. Uh, this match was absolutely brutal. Foley wrapped himself in barbed wire, which caused an unsuspecting Edge's arm to be sliced after spearing Foley. Um, Owen's looking at me in disbelief. When I say brutal, meaning like it was physically brutal, not brutal in as it was a bad. Oh, match. I thought you meant like brutal. Like, it, like what is wrong with you? That was like uh, if you d- if you don't count Cena and Triple H and Sean and McMahon, like that was like the third best match. Dude, come on. Again, physically but brutal. Now, now I know. I, I yeah. All right, all right. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. This match had a little bit of everything. It had lighter fluid, thumbtacks, barbed wire wrapped baseball bats, barbed wire wrapped Mr. Socko. Again, a little bit of everything. The finish saw Lita light a table on fire on the floor, and Edge hits a spear on Foley from the apron through the table to the floor, getting the pin in 14 minutes and 36 seconds. Again, this match was just the epitome of a no-holds-barred hardcore match in 2006. Lots of blood and guts. Brutal, but in a good way. Okay, I, I, I'm i sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> I feel like he's going to cut this part out, but we'll see what happens. Um, No, I think it was, you know, it was a great match because it was, it was something different because you, when you're doing a show, and especially... When you're doing WrestleMania, you have to you got to change up the matches. So having a hardcore match is really cool, you know. And and I want to confirm from you, wasn't this Mick Foley's like last match in WWE? Because didn't he go to TNA, or was that a year later? Yeah, he went to TNA later. This was actually Mick Foley's last WrestleMania match. WrestleMania match. Gotcha. He actually ended up wrestling Ric Flair at SummerSlam this year in 2006. Oh, okay. But then yes, he would end up going to TNA. But this was his actual last. WrestleMania match. Yeah, because I I had like thought it was like he had the last WrestleMania match and then left to TNA, but I got it mixed up. But yeah, I I think it was great, you know. And you have to remember, like for Edge, like you know, like like my dad over here said, you know, it's like he just won the the Money in the Briefcase match of WrestleMania last year, WrestleMania twenty one. Now he cashed it in at New Year's Resolution. So like. Like this, and you know, not like it's early on in Edge's career, but it's early on in the rated R superstar Edge of building him up to be this top guy. Because yeah, Attitude Era, he was a he was a star, but not not to where he was like in the two thousands or like like mid two thousands, I should say. Yeah, I think it was great, but I have to say, Joey Styles is the most annoying commentator ever. You won't get any disagreement. From I me? apologize. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell, but I ugh, like I remember like I it was. You know how we just said brutal. That was brutal to listen to Joey Styles. It's just, like, no disrespect to him, but you suck. Like, you're not good. No disrespect, <laughs> but you suck. No disrespect, but uh, that's a t-shirt t-shirt idea. That no one will buy. Everyone will buy it. Backstage, Charmel is freaking out about having to team with Booker to face the Boogeyman. Charmel asks why all the freaks always seem to be attracted to Booker. Camera then pans to show the pirate, Paul Burchill, standing on top of some road cases. As Booker and Charmel continue walking down the hall, they come upon the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and Eugene, recreating the scene of the boy trying to dribble the basketball a hundred times in a row to win a thousand bucks. Next, they find Snitsky sitting on the floor, licking Mae Young's feet as Moolah stands there watching. Snitsky asks if Booker and Charmel want to join them. They keep walking, and Booker gets the attention of a woman in a dress the woman 
turns around to be revealed as Goldust. Goldie says Booker needs help and that Oprah Dust is here to help. Goldust says that backstage, everyone is a freak and Booker needs to tap into that as it's the only way that he's going to beat the Boogeyman. Goldust says Booker needs to take the worms from Boogeyman as Booker and Charmel storm off. We then go straight to the intergender handicap match, Booker T and Charmel versus the Boogeyman. Thankfully, this was kept short. Booker plays the role of the scared heel by making his wife start the match, but quickly blindsides Boogie to get the upper hand. Boogeyman makes a comeback by eating worms, kisses Charmel on the mouth, which sends her shrieking to the back. Boogie hits Booker with his chokeslam finish for the win in 3 minutes and 43 seconds. I would agree with you. I am kind of glad that that match was quick because, you know, it's like I, I get what they're trying to do. Yes, Boogeyman is creepy. Like I'll say, I mean, I like Boogeyman. He's creepy, but that's the point. He's supposed to be creepy. But yeah, it was it was weird. You know, it like I'm not like I'm a weirdo. I don't like worms, but like especially when it's like in someone's mouth, that's kind of I'm not gonna lie, that's pretty gross. But uh, yes, so yes, uh, glad that it was quick and yeah. We then go to the WWE Women's Championship match: the challenger Mickey James taking on the champion Trish Stratus. So some backstory here is that Mickey James is an obsessed, crazy stalker fan who just so happens to know how to wrestle. The crowd was solidly behind James, who is the heel, which the announcers had to talk about. They chalked it up to it being a, quote, defiant Chicago crowd, end quote. Uh, the match was really good until the finish, but if you've only seen the WWE Network version, you'd have no idea that the finish was botched. What actually happened was Stratus went to give James her Stratisfaction second row bulldog. Stratus's knee buckled, which sent both ladies crumpling to the mat. Mickey then kicked Stratus in the head, covered her for the three count, and won the women's championship in eight minutes and forty-eight seconds. So, uh, before I get into my thoughts, like, uh, do you like remember watching that live on pay per view and like, being like, "Holy crap, that was bad!" Like, do you remember that? I do. Yeah, was that were you laughing or were you like, "Oh"? Well, I'm not laughing. I mean, it was unfortunate because it was it was a good women's match, and I mean, it was a good match, men's match, women's match. It was a good match. Um, but it just, and it was on WrestleMania, so it's on the biggest stage of the year. And, you know, unfortunately they got to the finish and they botched it. Yeah. I mean, it happens like with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 19, which you were there. Uh, I just had to say that, but yeah, I think, uh, this match was very good. You know, it was for the women's title. Uh, the storyline was really well, the, the build up to, I mean, it, it was, you know, Mickey James is crazy, but I, I thought it was a good match. They're both really good wrestlers. So I think it was good. We then go backstage to the McMahon family, getting Vince pumped up for his match tonight with Shawn Michaels. Vince says that he wants to do something for the first time ever. He wants to say a prayer with his family. So a visibly pregnant Stephanie gets down and kneels with the rest of her family. Vince says that he's going to send Shawn straight to hell. We then have the casket match, The Undertaker taking on Mark Henry. This was the first time that a casket match took place at WrestleMania. The Druids come out carrying lit torches and roll the casket down to the ring. We get our classic Undertaker entrance, which was pretty much the highlight of this match. Let me just say, I love Mark Henry's Hall of Pain run in that era of his career, but he just wasn't quite here yet at WrestleMania in 2006. Uh, Undertaker hits his patented tope dive over the top rope to Henry on the floor. 
This is then followed up by The Undertaker hitting the Tombstone Piledriver on 400-pound-plus Mark Henry. Undertaker rolls Henry into the casket and slams the lid to get the win in 9 minutes and 28 seconds to move to a then-undefeated 14-0 at WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, it. like you said, Mark Henry wasn't quite like there you know, with um, his career and stuff. He wasn't like the best or anything of how he's been, you know, and uh, I personally like this match. You know, it's it's the first casket match and as of, I believe, the only casket match at WrestleMania. So for me, that's like, oh, that's a big deal. Like, you know, the first and only casket match. Now, you know, who knows in the future, but, you know, whatever. It, uh, I think it was a good match. You know, I, I love The Undertaker. I love Mark Henry. So I thought it was great. We then go to the No Holds Barred match featuring Shawn Michaels against Mr. McMahon. Vince McMahon is 60 years old here and is on the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine. I'll let you connect the dots. Vince may be the most unathletic person in the history of wrestling to have some of the most entertaining matches, and this was certainly one. Early on, we were treated to a spirit squad run-in. They get the advantage on HBK, but he's able to make a comeback and take out all five of them by himself. As HBK goes back to work taking care of Vince, Shane McMahon runs in and nails Sean with a kendo stick. Vince wants Sean to join the Kiss My Ass Club again, but Sean reverses and throws Shane into Daddy's derriere. Sean grabs the handcuffs that Shane brought and cuffed Shane to the bottom rope on the outside and begins to cane Shane repeatedly. Sean proceeded to take the next 10 minutes by beating the living piss out of Vince with weapons, ladders, and hitting Vince with the flying elbow off a 200-foot ladder well, maybe not 200 feet, but it was a tall ladder, and he went crashing down onto Vince through a table. This sent the paramedics out, which Sean aggressively went after. So the story here is that Vince caused Sean to snap. Sean then sets Vince up for the superest of super kicks of Sweet Chin Music to get the victory in 18 minutes and 22 seconds. I'll say it was a very entertaining match, you know, and like you said, Vince, for how unathletic he was, he could give on some of the greatest entertaining matches of all time. I think it was great. The coolest part was obviously Sean going on top of that 200-foot ladder and then jumping and doing the the elbow drop. I thought that was awesome, you know, and, and especially how high that was. I mean, you know, a normal ladder, if you, if you watch, is pretty a normal height, but then that's, like, way up there, you know. it. Like, I, I think if you look, like, where the, where the fans are, like, you can see, like, right where it is, so... Yeah, it's crazy, but I, I think it was a very entertaining match. We then move on to the Triple Threat World Heavyweight Championship match. We have challengers Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio challenging the World Heavyweight Champion Kurt Angle. I forgot that as part of this angle that this was the era of Randy Orton saying that the recently deceased Eddie Guerrero was in hell. Wrestling is the absolute worst sometimes. It really is. Uh, the group P.O.D. did a live rendition of Rey Mysterio's new theme, which absolutely died live. The match was set up for Rey to take all of the big bumps for the bigger opponents in Orton and Angle. Finish saw Mysterio hit the 619 and the West Coast pop on Randy Orton to capture the World Heavyweight Championship in 9 minutes and 19 seconds, which did get a huge pop for Rey getting the win. Yeah, it definitely should have gotten a huge pop because it was... Ray had just won the bell, or sorry, won uh, the Royal Rumble. My apologies. Uh, he just won the Rumble uh, that year in January. He was number two, and he lasted that whole time. So I mean, yeah, it was a big deal, you know. And uh, unfortunately, Eddie uh, Eddie Guerrero passed away a year 
before this, 2005. So it it definitely was a big deal, and it and I'm glad he did get a huge reaction because he you know I I know it's like oh it's not real he doesn't deserve it, but I feel like Ray did deserve it because like dude come on like you're you're building this guy up you know and Ray obviously had been in WCW so most wrestling fans knew him but it was it was getting him up the ladder even more so i think it was a great match one of the best world title matches we then have the playboy pillow fight in candace michelle against tori wilson this is clearly the buffer match between the two championship title matches tori gets the win in three minutes and 54 seconds next which takes us to the main event which is for the wwe championship we have the challenger, Triple H, taking on the champion, John Cena. Triple H comes out first on the throne. Well, not the toilet, but he's actually raised up from under the ramp, dressed as something out of Conan the Barbarian's wardrobe. He makes his way to the ring, does his classic Triple H entrance. We then get a video package about the Chicago gangster scene from the 1930s. The entrance ramp then raises up again, and an old-school sedan makes its way down the aisle, complete with gangsters. In and hanging off the car, carrying Tommy guns. Most notable from this group is CM Punk, Chicago native, and at the time, OVW talent is featured on camera the most during this entrance. John Cena then comes out in a trench coat, carrying a Tommy gun of his own. He fires off a round, blows the smoke from the barrel, and heads to the ring. The crowd is not into Cena here at all. This was right about the start of the vocal male audience voicing their displeasure with Cena. This match was Cena's first WrestleMania main event. Even though Jim Ross said that Cena had previously main evented two WrestleManias, this is his first true main event. This match had everything you'd expect in a WrestleMania main event. The finish saw Triple H tap out to Cena's STFU submission move in 22 minutes and 2 seconds to retain the WWE Championship. The crowd was legit surprised that Cena won, which they shouldn't have been, and that Triple H tapped out to Cena's finish, which they shouldn't have been. This was a strong match and a great first of many more times that Cena would be the WrestleMania main eventer. Absolutely, uh, you know it's you know the how they do the um, the contract signings like they do. So they obviously did that in Chicago because they did the video package before the match. If you watch that, Triple H says this is going to be the easiest match of my career. You know, so that's very clear. Like. If they had Cena, you know, pin him and get the one, two, three, that would have been like stupid, you know, because like you, the guy, the the challenger just said this will be the easiest match of my career. You got to make the dude tap, because then like if you make him tap, it's like oh my gosh, he just said it was easy. He clearly just gave up. So I think it was very smart the way they did that, and I just think it was one of the greatest main events of all time. And I have to say, yeah, with Jr. of how he said he's main evented two WrestleManias. Uh, no, he hasn't because WrestleMania 20, he actually opened the show, which was a great match. And we'll cover that later on, uh, sometime in the future. And then, uh, the year before this WrestleMania 21, he was, I think the third to last match, right? Yeah. Third because Batista and Triple H was the main event, but still Cena and JBL was great. And I'm sure we'll cover that down the road, but yeah, I think the, the way they did it, the, you know, how it ended and how the entrances were, I, I think it was great. One of the best main events, and I'll stop rambling about it. Uh, I think it was great. So, You know, sitting here and just kind of going back and thinking about everything we've talked about and just reading over my notes again, I know that there were several WrestleManias that had a lot of unique matches, but when you go back and, and you look at the lineup for the show, 
So you have a you have a money in the bank ladder match, which is just pure plunder with the ladders and chairs and tables and all that stuff. So you've got that. You've got the hardcore match with Edge and Mick Foley. You've got the street fight with Shawn Michaels and Mr. McMahon, which again, just plunder and blood and guts. And then you have the WWE Championship, which used a lot of foreign objects, smoke and mirrors, whatever you want to call it. I just One of the things that really stood with me, that stuck with me after watching the show and then going through the notes and now talking about it is... There were a lot of what I would call non-traditional matches from the Money in the Bank match, the street fight, the hardcore match. I mean, typically, you don't see that many non-traditional wrestling matches at WrestleMania. Absolutely. Like, even today, it's very, like, just traditional matches. There may be, like, a here and there, oh, we're going to do this ladder match. But, like, really, like, it's you're absolutely right. There's very a lot of unique, non-traditional wrestling matches. Absolutely. And that is going to close the book on this week's edition of our retrospective review of WrestleMania 22. We certainly hope that you have enjoyed our presentation of this review. Uh, We know that Owen is a big fan of WrestleMania 22, and I'll just say it wasn't the worst WrestleMania I've ever watched. Okay, good. Because if you were going to say WrestleMania 13 or 11 was better, we're going to have a talk. So, again, make sure that you are following the podcast on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at PW Retrospect Pod. Make sure you are following Owen at Give Me underscore MTNDEW. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter at David C. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And I am very excited to announce that next week for our podcast topic, we will be doing a retrospective review of WCW Halloween Havoc 1990. So we're going to reverse roles. So this week, Owen was over-the-top excited about WrestleMania 22, and I was... Next week, roles are going to reverse. I am over-the-top excited about getting to go back and watch WCW Halloween Havoc 1990 because at times I feel that I am the last WCW fan and Owen doesn't have nearly the love and affinity for this show as I do, but that's okay. Yeah, like, here's the thing. You were not excited about doing this because I remember we were talking, you like, oh, I got to watch that. So, easy. I want to watch Halloween Havoc because it's, what, this is the last full week of September? So, like, yeah, of course. It's ho- like it's Halloween time. you got to start watching Halloween Havoc. So, I'm very excited to talk about it. Uh, I think I've seen the show maybe once or twice. It's, it's a great show. It's one of the best times in WCW, and I, I think uh, it's going to be a great show to review, and I can't wait. Yeah, so, for me, this was actually the first WCW pay-per-view that I got a copy of of the tape as a kid so I have a lot of nostalgia for this show because I had a copy of the tape as a kid I got from a friend and literally watched the tape until the tape broke so I have seen this show at least a hundred times that's not an exaggeration at least a hundred times I know every match I know every spot so I am very excited to do a retrospective review of this 
I was gonna ask you if you watched it till literally the tape broke. I absolutely did. So again, follow us online. Make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. You can be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever fine podcasts are consumed. And wherever you get your podcast audio, please make sure that you like, rate, and subscribe. Uh, Leave a comment. A five-star rating goes a long way to help us out to continue to grow this podcast and to get some more uh, listeners and certainly we can't do that without all of you and your support so again we want to thank you very very much for your support we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and we will talk to you again next week